The internet should be a safe space for everyone to be who they want to be, but sadly, there are lots of us who experience bullying online. Cyberbullying takes many forms, from hurtful comments to online harassment and cyberstalking. I'm one of many people who has experienced bullying online, so I know firsthand how it can affect you offline too. That's why I'm so proud to be partnering with Urban Decay to highlight their ongoing campaign with the CyberSmile Foundation, who are committed to promoting digital well-being. The campaign is called Online Bullying Hurts IRL, and it aims to educate people about how cyberbullying can affect mental health and offer support for those who need it. Urban Decay and CyberSmile have made educational modules and a digital changemaker toolkit, which are all designed so that we can recognize the signs, responsibly intervene, and positively change the conversation. Head to cybersmileeducation.org forward slash urban decay. We can build a safer world online for everyone by learning and talking and making positive impact through considered social media use. If you're struggling right now, we have got you. And remember to talk to people you trust. You are never alone offline, even if you feel it online. Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. This podcast is all about empowerment and open conversations with incredible guests. So let's get straight into it. Today we are joined by the genius that is Emerald Fennell. I loved Emerald in my fave Call the Midwife and as Camilla in The Crown. But she's now turned her talents to writing and directing. Her first movie, Promising Young Woman, won her an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. And now she's back with her second movie, Saltburn, which follows Oliver, played by Barry Keoghan, who skips off to Oxford University, becomes obsessed with the jock on the block, Felix, played by Jacob Elordi. And it is one racy, dark and hilarious movie and your jaws are gonna be on the floor. Emerald and I talk all about Saltburn, and just like the movie, this chat has range as we cover everything from the cheeky girls, how to master a camp one-liner, obsession with boys, and the desperate needs so many of us feel to fit in. I love how Emerald aims to create a safe space on set for everyone to thrive, and we need more spaces like that, don't we? Emerald? Yeah. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I mean, I need to ask you, <laughs> yeah. how are you actually? Because Saltburn is the most unhinged, genius thing <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Do people ever ask you, are you okay after they've seen it, being like, just to check in? Well, I think people who don't know me... Mm. Do, but luckily the people who are familiar with me know that this is just a kind of lifetime preoccupation with the sort of gothic macabre. Yeah, you know it. It's. I mean, people text me with the worst, most chilling crimes. You know that they found if they're in like Bulgaria or whatever, and they find a local news story, they immediately tell me about it because they know I'm going to want to know <laughs> everything. I'm not a good person. I'm not a nice person. What is the inside of your mind like? I don't know. What is that like as a day-to-day journey? It's like a cave full of, like, bats (laughs) with hundreds of eyes. They're all crawling on top of each other. (laughs) And then it's just me in a marabou dressing gown 
scratching at the walls. That's kind of what it's like in my brain, I that, guess. That's the most descriptive thing I've ever heard. That's, I love that. That's more or less what it's like. Yeah, I could really envisage yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you know. You know what it's like. What's it like inside your brain? Um, I kind of see it a bit kind of like peak Kylie Minogue disco ball era. What it's do you like mean? It's like permanently a party. Are you wearing... So you were talking hot pants workout era. Oh, we're talking like we've got the hot pants on, yep. obviously gold. Spinning around. We've got sequins everywhere. It's like a dance floor. There's like topless men everywhere. But is there nothing bad? Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd rather be in your world. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be anything kind of horrible on the floor that you don't ask too many questions about, or maybe there is, I don't know. But I quite like the idea of the Marabou dressing gown. So yeah, the dressing gown bit. is sublime, I'll mm, give you that, but it, yeah. it'll be in tatters by the end of the night. <laughs> we'll be on that dance floor, that's all I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be so many moments in this movie that people are going to be quite, not just shook, but shook <laughs> F, really. And not to give too much away, but there was one bit involving a grave and some thrusting, shall we say. I mean, what do you mean not to give too you much, much away? away? But, you know, like, we're not, <laughs> we're not doing the whole visual there. Um, <laughs> how was that to film and direct and also write? That, that kind of, like, so, moment. So, if we're non-spoilerly talking yeah. about the kind of, the more sort of transgressive mm-hmm. moments of the film... I mean, honestly, it's really about kind of, it's just about like who you, who your collaborators are. Like going into making this film, you know, I was really determined and we were all really determined to just make something that's about desire and what desire really looks like and what, you know, what love, misdirected kind of love can feel like. And so obviously, you know, a huge part of that doesn't look, mm-hmm. you know, isn't, necessarily picturesque or I would argue it sort of you know might be but it's just that thing of like you know we that's the thing I love so much about Barry particularly as a performer is you just he just know you know you need to give him a look and he knows exactly what you mean and he's in it as deep as I am and he's has no interest in making something kind of flaky or um kind of half-arsed <laughs> or half-cocked like mm. we don't we wanted to we set out to make something that felt sticky and difficult and complicated and sexy and that requires like a lot of um a lot of trust between all of us and a lot of um you know just commitment i guess yeah. and then another thing that really shook me about it was the Christmas party scene where the cheeky girls oh, blasted thank out. Thank you. I mean, thank have a cheeky you. Christmas. I haven't heard it in probably about a decade. You. But yeah. that's the comeback we all need in our lives right now. What made you decide to bring back the cheeky girls? Oh, my God. Thank you for asking. Thank you for noticing. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, obviously the film is set in 2006, 2007. And you have to be so careful with music, especially if you're as obsessed with music as I am. You know, we make sure that when we... When we we do the first few passes of the film. We don't use any music at all to make sure that, you know, we're not cheating. Because obviously in the moment you have the cheeky girls in, it's it's like the best film ever. So you've got yeah. to sort of make sure you're, you can stand on its own two feet. But that was a really difficult one, actually. A Christmas song is difficult because if you're trying to be specific about an era, Christmas songs are perennial. So, you know, most good Christmas songs you they just, they live forever, right? Mm. So you don't necessarily know. I mean, we all know that Mariah Carey's 
wonderful dream hit, yeah. All I Want for Christmas is You, is 30 years old because it's celebrating its birthday this year. Yeah. But generally speaking, it could have been five years ago, right? It could have mm. been 20, whatever. So we needed to find something that felt of its time. And so we looked at the crazy frog, obviously, who has... <laughs> Thank God you didn't bring that back. Can I just tell you? It's gone. What do you mean it's gone? We can't find it. So you couldn't, you couldn't, couldn't find, find it anywhere? Frog. He's gone. Oh, my God. Is, is he in the Costa del Sol? <laughs> Under a pile of lady frogs? We don't know. We don't know. Is he's all made I'm all of you. his money and now he's just he's, off. He doesn't need it. He's in his motorcycle jacket. He's got no pants on. He's riding around town, not a care in the world. <laughs> Can't find him. So there you mm. go. Um, but actually, that turned out to be a blessing in disguise because... We'd gone through every single Christmas song. We'd, we'd tried everything. Nothing quite hit. And then I think it, almost in the middle of the night, like, you know, in a eureka moment, some would say the eureka, eureka moment, moment of the century, some I sat up, sat up and said, I think to my husband, the cheeky girls had a Christmas song. He was like, shut up, as he always says, please leave me alone, please go to sleep. Um, and it just turns out to be the best song ever. Mm. I'd forgotten how good have a cheeky Christmases. And every time that moment of the film happens, I am overcome with joy because it's so good. Oh, it's sensational. It's so good. Some might say the cinematic moment of the century. Agree. Mm. Some would. Some you, would. my mum, me. me. You. <laughs> Done. That's, That's all the balance, we, that right? literally, who cares? Who cares about any of the others? But there are some amazing camp moments in this Thank as well you. as the dark moments which we will come on to. But one of the best things about it for me is Rosamund Pike. What a performer, and you have given her some of the greatest one-liners. My personal favourite is, I was a lesbian for a while, you know, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. But in the end, it was just just too wet for me. Men are so lovely and dry. I, I screamed. <laughs> it, yeah. it was genius. Uh, thank you. I mean, she, can you imagine finding someone like like not finding obviously I knew Rosman was a genius what I mean is that the the moment she first spoke as Elspeth Catton I did think I was going to die of like yeah. happiness and joy she's so brilliant she's such a genius comic performer and that's what is so and actually I do agree with you the level of camp is so important because she herself the character mm. is aware of everything she says she's saying things to be Naughty, to yeah. be provocative, to push, to upend expectations. And that's what's so brilliant about Rosamond. I think a lot of people might have taken that character on face value, but she knows how clever Elspeth is. Mm. And she knows that everything she says is sort of designed to kind of titillate, to sort of surprise, to kind of draw you in. And that's why it's just such a... I mean, it's a genius comic performance, but it's also so kind of clever and it becomes cleverer as it, you know, as it goes along. But I mean, she, I mean, obviously, we need to see the poor dear Pamela Elspeth, like, spin-off prequel. We do. Don't we? Well, there's one person who can make that happen. I mean, it's it, you. It's, oh, oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what are you still doing here? Yeah, and it's, no, honestly, I agree. Writing it. I agree with you. I agree. I don't think the world's ready. No, they're not. What is the secret to writing a great one-liner or creating a great one-liner? Oh, I'm going to sound so twee. It's character. Mm. I mean, I think the truth of it is is that, like, it's only really funny if it feels like something you'd actually say. If it doesn't feel like... If it doesn't feel like a gag, you know? So, So 
so much of the texture of the way that Elspeth talks is that kind of glib, deliciously glib. I don't know, it's the kind of rhythm of speech, which is so much Rosmond, as much the writing, that kind of, the way of delivering something. And and also I think, like, in a movie, it's also about editing so much. It's about, mm. it's about people's responses. It's It's kind of cutting to people's responses. So often it's like, you know the what <laughs> you know the, the moment where somebody's like what or like Oliver's face after she says that men are so lovely and dry he's just like he has no words he has, he's, has no words like even Oliver cannot <laughs> comprehend like you know she outgames him mm. and it's you know and it is in a moment where, where he is kind of trying to seduce her but I don't think you know she's just she can't be seduced she's too mm. she's too iconic really she's too iconic <laughs> This month marks anti-bullying week and World Kindness Day, so you might have noticed this series of Rain is all about how we can build a safer and more welcoming world online. Bullying, both online and offline, can affect your mental health, and as someone who's experienced bullying in both worlds, I know how isolating that can be. So it feels really special to be partnering with Urban Decay and Cybersmile to talk about their Online Bullying Hurts IRL campaign. Head to cybersmileeducation.org forward slash Urban Decay to find Urban Decay and Cybersmile's educational modules and their digital changemaker toolkit to help call out and stop cyberbullying for good. Together, we can and we will make the internet and social media a safe space for me, for you, and for everyone. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I remember when I watched Promising Young Women, me and my friend went to go watch it together. And then afterwards, we had a very like deep DMC about our own experiences of a soul. And I thought afterwards, it's like, that is what's so powerful about what you do. You create stuff that people go away and they can have chats with their mates about things that they maybe repressed and they haven't discussed. And that's such a gift you can give to people. With this movie, with Saltburn, what do you want people to start talking about more? I think, you know, I think I'd like people to talk about... The thing about this film, I suppose, is that it is sexy. Mm. But it's sexy in a way that is... In, to some people, in some ways, transgressive. Mm. And I suppose I want to interrogate our relationship with our own desire and our relationship with the things that we desire and how often... And it's not dissimilar to promising a woman, how destructive that desire often is. You know, we are all of us spending all of our time, you know, on the internet, looking at people, fantasizing about them, fantasizing about their lives, fantasizing about their clothes, whatever it is, the food they make, everything. And that feeling so quickly becomes self-loathing, which so quickly becomes anger directed mm-hmm. at the thing. And I suppose in a kind of roundabout way you know it's difficult to talk about like themes and things and so but I really am interested in if people find this film 
sexy or disturbing or, or, or funny or not funny. I'm kind of interested in why... I'm interested in why some people... Sort of some men have interviewed me and described the sex scenes as gross out. For example. Right. For example. Mm. You know, or some people just, you know, really... that There's a line for, for a lot of people of kind of... That they won't cross, that they're not... You know, that, that kind of really, like, slams the doors. You know, there's a moment in the movie you know, when people are like, no, I'm not going to engage with this, I don't like it. I'm just interested in that. Because I think that, like, we... I just, I just don't think we're honest with ourselves or with other people about what we want. And I think that dishonesty is quite toxic. Mm. So it's sort of, I suppose, important for me to say, you know, to write it, to make it, to put it out there, to say, I think this is... I think there are lots of people who, you know, have transgressive, strange thoughts about the things that they want all the time. Shouldn't we all talk about it? Shouldn't we all think about it? Should we all be, like, familiar with that feeling, at least? Or interrogate it or feel comfortable talking about it? Mm. And that's because if you talk about it, there's no... It eradicates the shame. Totally. And the shame is the thing that silences people, isn't it? The shame is the thing that makes it feel bad. The shame is the thing that leads to violence, always, Mm. really. And so... And that's also to kind of, like, make this film... Like, this is to be very, like, philosophical and grandiose also... I just wanted to make something that was a really good time and funny and silly and over the top and baroque and gorgeous and crazy. So there was all of that sort of stuff. But but absolutely, I think if you can't talk about this stuff, if we, you know, because I'm kind of quite facetious and I think people often are pretending to be shocked. (laughs) I think that's very true, actually. So I'm interested when people say like, oh, this is... I'm, I'm, my question is always, are you really shocked or are you pretending to be shocked because we're having a public conversation or are you really shocked or are you just not willing to think about it mm. or really, you know, do you feel more comfortable looking at naked women than naked men? You know, sort of, of course, the movies I grew up in have so much, the way that they use women's bodies, you know, for all, in all sorts of ways was so normal. There's nothing in this film that's really actually... I mean, almost all of it's just in close-up. Yeah. There's sort of... It's not... It, it's, it, it only feels dangerous. It's not actually... I mean, you know, of course, there are a couple of moments. Yeah. But, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. actually, there's nothing... So much of it is what the audience brings to it. That's what I'm interested in, I mm. guess. And it's also the idea of obsession... Because we've all been so royally obsessed with someone it's, it makes us go stir crazy. Totally. I mean, I haven't really been obsessed with someone to the level that I want to, like, drink their bath water or, you know, rim yet. the plug hole. Yet. 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 <laughs> There's always time. Okay? There's always time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For all of us. There's always time. But no, you're absolutely right. That feeling, and it's not necessarily about the literal, like, ins and outs of the bathtub, um, for example. Yeah. But it is about that feeling that we all recognise of like, oh, I'd have just lost my mind. You know, I'd have pretended to be anyone. I'd have said anything. I'd have done anything. I'd have debased myself in any manner of ways Mm. just to get this person's attention. You know, the kind of, actually, I think there are lots of things more shaming than the kind of like sad little sexual deeds that we perform. But the, the sort of like changing the way you dress and the way you talk. And I don't know, there's so much about how, deranged we become mm. in, in the presence of something we want, um, that hopefully at least that is something people kind of um, recognise. 
Well, I think that's a universal thing, isn't it? That obsession with um, popularity, which you see in this movie so well. And we've all done it. We've all tried to desperately, desperately fit in in our life. Is there a time when you've really tried to fit in? I mean, the thing is, I'm so slippery that my whole life is about fitting. You know, I'm. I wish I was more. I wish I was more the opposite. I wish I was more fixed and resolute. But I. But I think I can. I can literally get into any old shit. Do you know what I mean? If I'm talking to someone who loves any manner of nonsense, yeah. I can, in the moment, be totally obsessed with you know whatever, mm. whatever mad thing. Um, because my main, I suppose, imperative is I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But so I kind of wish more that I was less wanting to fit into whatever that was. I mean, definitely, I remember when I was at university, my tutorial partner, you know, you see you see kind of a similar thing in this film. My tutorial partner, <laughs> I was halfway through reading an essay and he stood up and said, this is a waste of my, this is a waste of my time. <laughs> Left. Brutal. Yeah, yeah, I know. And look at you now. And and look, look at, at me, me now, now, bitch. No, but it was more that like it was more that that was kind of the that was the game there. The game was not just to outsmart each other or to write the best essay. It was to kind of alpha. It was a kind of weird, sort of interesting dynamic. And also, what was even more interesting was I didn't even mind that. But you know, it was part of we were sort of des- we were they were kind of bringing us up to kind of to be argumentative and undermining and kind of cruel. It was like part of the game. And then, mm. you know, and your tutor was there sort of like prodding. You know, it's a very odd way of like teaching people. It's very dark. Very dark, yeah. Very yeah, dark. Very dark. But obviously I loved it for that reason. Yeah. I went into the cave, it comes. Yeah, into the Come cave. Come into the cave. We'll bring this back Come at some into point. The cave, yeah. But that's one of the aspects of the movie as well. It's that whole idea of, we're totally okay, everything's absolutely fine, and then behind the scenes, everything is very much not okay. And we are very guilty of that, especially in our culture in Britain, of, you know, perpetuating that idea. And, like, when you do something like this, where you're with quite dark subject matter for quite a while, and we're promising a woman, how do you look after your own mental well-being when you're going through that? Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I mean, the answer is I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I... Writing is the thing that... that is that makes me feel better always and always has been. And so it's actually kind of now, when, when, when a film has come out, when something's finished and you're sort of talking about it, which is always lovely actually, but but I start to, it's now about two years since I finished Saltburn, the writing, and I start to get really itchy. My brain, my body, everything starts to get itchy because I need to, kind of need to go away and write because... Usually I realise what's wrong with me after I've written something. <laughs> like, oh. Right. Oh, in, in COVID. That seems to work. It's like in COVID, you weren't allowed to touch anyone. You weren't, and like, you weren't even allowed to breathe near each other. So it makes sense that everything in this is about bodily fluids. You know, it's, but it's mm. really only afterwards that you are able to see these things sometimes. And so for me, I look after my mental health by kind of writing these awful worlds. And I can put everything in there, I guess. Mm, and just channel it in there. Yeah, just yeah. an enormous amount of antidepressants. And then Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle. A functioning mother <laughs> of two. Go. Woman of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Woman of the year, always. Um, but then one of the interesting things about this film I found is you could definitely class it as a queer movie as well. 
But what I love about it is, is that no one ever labels their sexuality ever. And I think that's a very progressive thing that we're seeing in movies now, where we're not labeling people willy-nilly. We're letting them, you know, become the people they want to be or they are, and they're kind of finessing and we're going on that journey with them. Was it important for you that you weren't going to label what their sexuality was? Totally, because I think also just... I'm not sure necessarily that desire even works like that. Some, you know, it's it's a kind of constantly evolving thing mm. for everyone. And the things that people want often are hugely surprising to them or are, are in fact the thing that they don't want the most. Like, I think that's another thing is that there's a moment, but there's a kiss that happens in the scene, which is at the worst possible moment mm. between two people who hate, you know, or in a kind of very complicated moment. And it's, it is both repellent and unbelievably sexy because you completely understand the impulse of doing the thing that's going to hurt yourself the most at the moment is going to be the most, I don't know, kind of... So, so it's, it's to say that, like, it just felt to me that everyone in this is kind of... Yeah, everyone. It's an omnivorous... It's like a, like, you know... It's a feast. Who are you gonna like? Who are you gonna consume first? It mm. feels like it feels rude to we have so to choose when there are so many. Yeah, and I, and I think that's it. Is that all of them? And again, it, and it feels maybe unique to maybe this kind of family too. That when you're, you know, that 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 they've always been perhaps a little queerer than because they've been able to kind of do what they want behind closed mm. doors, which means that they've been able to kind of realise their desires perhaps more freely than than other people would have been. So so it's perhaps a kind of slightly Yeah, and then and you know, all of the stuff, the kind of the way that the houses are built, they're built the for voyeurism. There are mirrors everywhere hidden so that the so that the staff can see who's in the room, if anyone needs a top-up. if any, You know, there's there are doors everywhere so that people can enter and exit without, you know, staff can enter and exit without anyone in the family knowing so things can just be cleared up. Things are, anything unpleasant or seedy that happens... Is swept away. Is swept away, things are fixed. And that is such a potent sexual dynamic because mm. you're, it's actually you're in a place that you're asking to be watched and you're... Uh, and, you're and it's irresistible not to watch. So I think already you're just operating on a level where everyone is sort of it's all sexually heightened all the time. Mm. And it's so interesting as well your career path, which I think is so bad. fascinating. Bad. No, it's <laughs> bad. incredible. Like going from Call the Midwife to becoming an Oscar-winning screenwriter is beyond iconic. I mean, I was the biggest Call the Midwife fan, so represent we love. Like, did this was this always? in your path? Was this always your plan? Or was there ever a moment on that journey where you questioned whether this was even possible? I think, you know, it's a really interesting one because, again, and I've been talking a lot about this with this film, is, like, all of our plans, like, how much are they fixed and how much do they kind of change given the circumstances? I think I, I know that I always wanted to make things, that I always wanted to make films. I don't think I knew that it was possible really to be a director like you know I didn't know if you you could do it without going to film school and all mm. of that sort of stuff I think a lot of there's a reason why a lot of actresses have become directors it's actually it's because you've you learn you suddenly see what what it is and you 
understand her and, and working with because of the SAG strike I'm not allowed to talk about like specific things but obviously the show that I was on for many years which I love so much and loved it just the, more than anything in the world you know so much of that I learned I learned everything because you're working on a show where you have the same cast the same crew a different DP and director every two episodes. So you immediately have a lit literal control where you can see what works, what doesn't work, what, what you know, um, how to save time, how to kind of piss everyone off. You know, what all the stuff is, you can just see bit by bit if you're watching. You know, and what that show taught me, apart from, you know, so many incredible things, it taught me that if every, if the cast and crew are really close... And they trust each other very mm. deeply, which we all did. You can get anything made. You can do, you can shoot a five page scene in one shot in 20 minutes at the end of the day because everyone's looking out for each other. Everyone is standing in the right place so that lighting can do their job. Co you know, they can stand in a certain way so costume can make sure that their dress is undone at the back. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you can do it. And that gave me so much confidence, especially making something like, Promising a woman where we had so little time and so little money. What I always knew was if we trust each other, if I can get us to a stage where we're all together, cast and crew, where we all love each other, believe in each other, trust each other, we will be able to make this because we all, because we, it is possible. Mm. It's only not possible if you don't get on, if you don't trust each other, if you're dicking around, if you think your department is more important than that department. That's when things take time. And so that show was so important to me because it just, you know, and maybe it was a very female experience yeah. too. It was run by women. It's it's populated by women. And it was like, I just think, oh, it's, it's do, this is do, it became, it showed me it was possible. Mm. And that's why I loved it so much and why I'm so grateful to it always. Mm. Well, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because being a leader as a female director, we're just going to say director because no one ever goes into a room and says, as a male director, what's it like? <laughs> but in this scenario, in an industry where traditionally hasn't necessarily been a place where women could thrive, mm. and we've been talking a lot on the podcast recently about bullying, for instance, and creating safe spaces for people and kindness. Yeah. When you go into those spaces now as a leader, knowing what's gone on in the past, mm. how, do you, how have you created such a kind, safe space for people? Um, well, I always feel a bit, I always feel a bit kind of, um, sh sort of not showy, but, but, you know, you don't want to be like, <laughs> it's a perfect utopia of joy. Yeah, I mean, you course. know, it's the things that, there are things that are important to me that I say like right off the bat when I meet actors, which is that we don't have any, everyone is completely equal. So everyone has the same crappy two way trailer. Um, nobody, uh, goes to change at base, which is, you know, when everyone goes to their trailer to change and do it. And so instead we have a kind of like communal makeup room on set and sort of, got, you know, changing rooms as well. And then we have a green room where all the actors, where they've got one line or they're the lead stay. Um, so there's no kind of being off isolation in your enormous trailer on your phone. You know, it's just a waste of time. It's a waste mm. of money. It's designed to make actors kind of distrust each other. It's it's sort of it was all put in place, that stuff, basically to divide. And so I'm not interested in it. And, I, and it's quite easy. You say it early on and, you know, if people don't like that, then they don't have to come and join in. And then we all have, you know, we all eat together. Um, so you're very conscious somebody's only coming in for the day to make sure that somebody invites them and sits with them and you just mm. it's like not much honestly it's about kind of having a workplace that's like 
functional and bearable and you will treat each other with respect and also you know there's a certain amount of honesty I think I'm quite I hope I'm kind but quite direct so I don't I won't try and manage people I guess I will sort of say if I don't think I don't think something's good enough or whatever it is that you know so so it's not that it's all kind of it's not that we don't all hold each other to very high standards. It's just that the that goes both ways. Mm. I feel like people can say to me if they don't like something or if they think something could be done better too. You know, it's that you all treat each other like always with respect and, you know, and that you're all having a fun, you know, fun time together. It's their 14 hour days. It's really hard. Things go wrong all the time. You need to like each other, respect each other, have a fun time. You know, it's not, it's not much and it's sort of it's mad to me that it's that it's not something that people don't take mm. I mean apart from anything else just from a business point of view people who aren't happy aren't able to work as effect you know if you're being really kind of brutal and kind of capitalist about it it's actually just much more effective to make to have people mm. who are happy at work it's so true you know so yeah. I don't know I mean you know we all have our days I'm not I'm not a saint, I don't think, but I really, really hope that, you know, I think everyone is still very, very close and everyone had a wonderful time mm. working on it. And that's, yeah, it's important to me. Yeah. It's how you do your best work. Is there times like maybe in your past of your career where you've maybe not had your voice respected that's made you want to build that kind of environment? I actually think kind of the opposite. I've just been really lucky. Mm. I've been really, really lucky. And, I, and, I've, and the things that I've seen that are really good, I've wanted to kind of emulate. Which is amazing. Oh. And you are incredible. Thank you. Keep very doing much. it. Keep building those spaces. Create this amazing work. But we always end on one final question. Okay. Which is, in the reign of your life, what's the one rule you'll always live by? Oh my god! I, d I mean, that's impossible. One rule I always live by: always wear pants. <laughs> it's it's a solid rule. Yeah. Right. You never know mm. if you're going to get caught short. Yeah. Love that. A gust of wind can undo all of your hard work in a moment. You know. Iconic. Tess Thompson once said, wash your bits. So that's right up there with it. Good for her. Yeah, love Good that. for her. Yeah. Yeah. I'd Cleanliness that, yeah. is close to godliness. Yeah. That's quite. what we like. You're amazing. Thank <laughs> you for making such another incredible movie. Thank you. Thanks for being here for this episode of Rain. If there are things that resonate with you, I'd love to hear from you. Get me on socials at Josh Smith Host. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe or follow and share this with someone you think should hear it. Let's get those convos going because that is what this podcast is all about. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life, just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. 
Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.